Father, we thank you so very much that Jesus is alive. We think back about what that morning must have been like, and we read these passages, and we ponder what they thought and what they went through, and their excitement when they finally saw the risen Lord, and our excitement today as we understand that he is still alive. We just praise you and thank you for it. As we open up the Word of God, I pray that you would teach us and that we would understand it well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 11. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. In John chapter 11, he talks about the fact that he is the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in him will live even if he dies. Before he died, Jesus made it very clear that he was the resurrection. Not just that he had power over death, but he was the resurrection. He was the one who was able to determine who was alive and who wasn't. He is still the resurrection. And because of that, we celebrate the fact that he is risen today. We're going to walk through... John chapter 11 this morning, a great chapter. It talks about Jesus and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is a wonderful story that tells us all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in some great ways. So we're going to read through it a little at a time and go through it and take a look. So we begin with verses 1 through 6. Really the background and, and it gets us caught up with what's going on. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was six. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So we are simply introduced into the main characters of this story that we're about to read. We find out that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we know that they were good friends of Jesus, and we find out that Lazarus is sick. And so they do what anybody would do who is friends with Jesus. They sent to Jesus to say, hey, Lazarus, we love him. We know that you love him. He's sick. And he needs you. It is a simple request in verse 3. They simply send word, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Knowing that Jesus was full of compassion, he was somebody who loved, he cared, and that he would respond to this in an appropriate way. Verse 4. When Jesus heard this, he said, and this is an important verse, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. This is about the glory of God. This isn't about Lazarus. It's not about his sickness. It's not about any of those things. This is about the glory of God. We have said over and over again, when I get an opportunity, I like to make sure that you understand that when the word glory or glorified is mentioned, it is talking about simply putting God on display. So Jesus said, this isn't about 
this isn't going to end in death, but it's about the glory of God. God is going to be on display so that the Son of God might be glorified by it. The Son of God and all of his power is going to be on display. God's going to be on display. The glory of God. It's when we have an opportunity to say, look, look what God did. Look at how amazing God is. That is why the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Because when we look up, what can we possibly say except, my, oh, my, look what God has done. It's the glory of God. We see that God is on display on a regular basis. And, and, and this is a big issue in this story. And this is a big issue with those who follow Jesus Christ. That life is about the glory of God. The whole of the Bible is about the glory of God. It is about God being on display from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through up until this great event that we're celebrating today, the resurrection. It's about the glory of God. It's about what God is doing and how God works and how remarkable he is and his love for humanity and how he goes about redeeming us. And then as the New Testament continues after the resurrection, we see it continues to be about the glory of God. It's how we live now that we understand that he's alive. It's how we live now that we understand that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's how we live when we go about telling people about Jesus Christ and they don't like it. It's how we live when we tell people about Jesus and they do like it. It's what happens when we're persecuted, when we're struggling, when we're successful. It's all about the glory of God over and over again. We need to be honest and recognize and admit that we forget that not just every now and again, but a lot. We fall into the old pattern, and it's easy to fall into that, let's be honest, life's about me, and it's nice that you folks can have a seat in my little play, but it's about me. And you say the same thing. We have to be re reminded regularly that the Bible says, not so fast. It's not about you. It is about the glory of God. It is about what God has done, is doing, and will do in you and all around you. It is about God. It's easy for us to remember things like that on days like this. It's a little harder when this day is over. To put God on display, to see God's glory it is an amazing thing. I want you to turn with me just backwards a few chapters because we see this in a graphic way in John chapter 9. It is absolutely amazing what we're about to read here. It says in John chapter 9 beginning in verse 1, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Because... The, the, the typical way of thinking in that day, we see that with Job. The typical way of thinking is, if there's something that is horrible that has happened to you, somebody in your life, you or somebody else close to you, did something to bring that horrible thing on. What is going on that you have done this? How did you mess up? You are paying the price for something. Now fess up, confess, what is it? And the disciples simply asked that question. Lord, was it his parents or was it him? Who did this, some terrible deed that this person would be born blind? Jesus answered in verse 3, It was neither that this man sinned or his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Understand this passage. Understand that Jesus said his parents didn't sin any worse than anyone else. 
He certainly didn't sin before he was born. But he's blind and has been blind all of his life so that at this moment, this space, this time, this day, right now, the Son of God could come by, could have an encounter with him, give him back his sight so that God can receive the glory. Now, as we go back to John chapter 11, let's make sure that we understand this. If there is no resurrection, if there is no eternity, if there is no eternal life, then what we just talked about and the concept of God's glory in the midst of difficulties makes no sense and is a horrible, rotten deal. But because there is eternity... Because the resurrection happened and there is eternal life and because this life is a life that we live here for a little while and then we're forever with God, then we understand that the things that we have on this earth are simply those things that are created and brought into our life so that God can get the glory so that we can continue to live physically for a while and then we're ushered into eternity forever where life is absolutely perfect. Because we see the big picture we can say, well, to God be the glory. You cannot see the big picture, or excuse me, you cannot and you will not say to God be the glory if you are not looking at the big picture. You won't. You will be looking at your circumstances and your problems and your frustrations and you will say, God did this and I'm really irked. But if we step back and see the big picture, and understand eternity and understand our situation in light of eternity, we can say, God, how are you going to display yourself right now so that you get the glory as I am on my way to be with you throughout all of eternity? Folks, the resurrection changes everything in that respect. So Jesus said, this is going to end not in death, but that God would get the glory. We see then in verse 5 a little bit more information. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This, these were special people to Jesus. These were very special people. He loved them in a very special way. Verse 6 then. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? We just read that you loved them. You got word that Lazarus was sick. And then the Bible says that he stayed two more days. You know what else eternity helps us with? It helps us get a handle on the fact that our timetable is not God's timetable. They're not the same thing. I have a timetable. I have a plan. I have, I have what I have. You have what you have. And when we share our notes with God, God says, you know, I have that happening a little bit differently. I'm going to do that a little different than that. Why? God, why, why would he do Why would he stay two days? Why would he do those things? And the answer, the simple answer is, is because God is working behind the scenes in ways that you can't even imagine right now. God sees the big picture and you don't. Sometimes he's still putting all the pieces together. 
Sometimes it's to grow our trust and dependence upon him. Sometimes it's for some practical reasons, as we'll see here in a moment with Lazarus. Sometimes we may never know. Do we trust God in light of eternity? Sometimes we simply need to refer ourselves to verse 4. This is for the glory of God. So the Son of God will be glorified by it. Is that good enough? God says, is that a good enough reason for you? I'm going to delay for a while. Why, God? Well, because this is about the glory of God. So that's the reason you're going to have to hold on to right now. And can you, can you trust me in light of eternity? That's what needs to happen here. Well, verses 7 through 16, the, the story continues. Then after that, this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we may die with him. I want you to notice that in the beginning of this passage here in verses 7 and beyond, he talks about the day and the night. And Jesus was talking about the fact that the, the, the day is that time that I am here on this earth to do what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to continue to do what I'm supposed to do in the day. Now, when the night comes, that's a whole other ball game. It'll be over and I will be in heaven. And I won't have the opportunity to do what I'm supposed to do. But in the daytime, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. In other words, why in the world are you going to where they were going to stone you, Lord? Well, because the Father's will is for me to do that. And my job's not done yet, and I need to do what the Father tells me to do because it's not about what I want. It's about the glory of God. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk in the day, and I'm going to do what it is that God wants me to do. And then in the next couple of verses, he simply explains this to his disciples that, that, that we need to go so we can wake him from sleep. We use the same kind of things. We use euphemisms all the time for death, and that's what they were doing here. He has fallen asleep. And the disciples said, well, what? what? And nope, it means he's dead. He's actually dead. And so we're going to go and we're going to make sure that, that we can do an amazing thing here. I want you to notice verse 15. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but now let us go. Lazarus' resurrection was going to do a remarkable thing in strengthening and growing the disciples' faith. It was that Jesus Christ would be glorified. Lazarus', Lazarus resurrection is one of those stories that has been used by believers ever since it was recorded. It, was, it, it is a great story. We learn so much in this chapter. And so Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And you say, what? How can he say that? Here's, he can do it because he sees eternity. Again, the resurrection changes our entire perspective. We're no longer looking at life like this. We're looking at life like this. You're here right now. You see this, but God sees it all. And he says, you know what? I know what's going on. I know what has happened. I know what's going to happen. 
And I'm glad that we weren't there so that you can see some amazing things. We don't know what God is always doing. We do not. We question it all the time. Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Why, Lord? Well, it's very possible so that our, our faith would be strengthened. It's very possible so other people can believe. It's very possible so that we can believe more. It's very possible that things are going on because God is working in ways that he is bringing in all sorts of people around you that you don't even understand yet. Again, do you see life from the perspective of the resurrection and eternity? Verses 17 through 19. So when Jesus came, he found that he'd already been in the tomb for four days. So he took his time, they eventually got there, and they found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. There was a belief by the Jewish people themselves that said that the soul hovered around the body for three days after death, hoping to re-enter it. Oh, well, this explains why he waited for a few days then, doesn't it? This is, had he come too soon... Had he given Lazarus back his death before those three days were up, then everybody would have, who believed that concept would have been firmer in that belief that the Spirit hangs around and maybe it'll take over again before three days are up. He waited until the three days were gone, and then he came so that everybody would have to say, clearly, this was a miracle of resurrection. And so he stayed in part for that reason. Jesus knows what he's doing. Now, that's a tough pill for us to swallow sometimes. But he knows what he's doing. And we need to trust and cling to him. So verse 18 says, Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary, uh, Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So he was close to Jerusalem, and that was the hotbed for absolute opposition to Jesus for a long time. But he was still willing to go and do this and be there. And it was close enough that we understand why so many of the Jews were there. They had come because they knew Martha and Mary. And they had come to console them. And they were just a little ways away from them. And so they came. And so there were a lot of Jews that were there that were seeing what was going on. So finally, we begin to get to the meat of the story in verse 20. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Jesus is coming, the word spread. Mary stayed put. Martha immediately got up and off she went because she wanted to meet Jesus. And in verse 21, she said this, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Jump over to verse 32. When Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, you have power, and we sent word to you, and if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Do not take this as a rebuke of these two ladies toward the Lord. Take this as brokenhearted sisters expressing their grief and their sorrow to somebody who could have done something but didn't. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. I've seen what you can do, and if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Look at what it says in verse 22. Go back to Martha's encounter. 
And she said, but I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She had tremendous faith in God. She had tremendous faith in Jesus being who Jesus was. Had you been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know that you can do anything. God works in you in remarkable ways. But what Jesus was about to do was beyond her thinking. It was way beyond her thinking. Look at what it says in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I I understand that. You see, resurrection from the dead was an Old Testament concept. Old Testament saints believed in a general resurrection. Job talked about it. David talked about it. Daniel, they all talked about it. And in fact, do you remember the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders before he died? And the Sadducees came and it said they asked Jesus this question about the resurrection. And a parenthetical thought in that passage is the resurrections do not believe. Excuse me, the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. And yet they're asking the correct question to trick Jesus. My point in sharing that is that The Sadducees were the only ones who did not believe in a general resurrection. Everybody else did. So when Jesus said, your brother will rise again, Mary, her response to him was, or excuse me, Martha's response was, well, of course I know he's going to rise again. I believe in a resurrection. I've always believed in a resurrection. The vast majority of Jewish people believed in a resurrection. We know there will be a general resurrection. Of course I believe in that. I understand that. I'm with you. And then Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. He wanted Martha to understand something, and that is this. The resurrection is not a far-off thing. The resurrection is standing right in front of you. It starts and it stops with me. Let's notice some things. John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 21, John 5, 21. Jesus is speaking, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. John 5, 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse 58, and I want you to notice what it says. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, why is that significant? Well, go to Matthew. Keep your finger in John. We'll be right back. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And we read in verse 32 of Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 32. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And so Jesus was tying that together. And when he said, I am, he was declaring that he was there with Moses. And that God that Moses encountered, that God that Abraham encountered, that God that Isaac and Jacob encountered is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Of course there's a resurrection. Because he's the God of the living. And so Jesus was making that statement over and over again. Back to John chapter 6. 
John chapter 6 now. And verse 40, it says this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And then what I referred to earlier, John chapter 14, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, excuse me, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he said. I'm the way to the Father. Jesus was saying to Martha at this point, I am not talking about the Old Testament general revelation in John chapter 11. Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. This is an incredibly important change for her. And this is an incredibly important change for us. Way too often, we think in terms of the resurrection being a faraway event. Yes, I know there's a resurrection. I understand that there is eternal life. It is down there. It is over there. The things that I'm concerned about, Kent, is this life right now, today, this moment. Well, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Believer, eternal life for you does not start when you physically die. Eternal life for you started the moment you met Jesus Christ as your Savior. The resurrection is not a far-off event for you any more than it was a far-off event for Martha. The resurrection is an event that changes everything and gives you the life you have right now and the relationship that you have right now with Jesus Christ that began when you were saved and will never, ever end. Jesus Christ said, I am the resurrection. And when you embrace the resurrection and understand the concept of you being saved by the resurrection and you being, uh, be given, you have been given life by the resurrection and the Holy Spirit who is the resurrection lives inside of you because God is living inside of you. Jesus is living inside of you. It changes your entire perspective. It changes absolutely everything. Believer, we must stop thinking about the resurrection as a far-off event. We need to think about the resurrection changes things for me right now, this very moment. This is a key point for us to embrace. Everybody who believes has life, the Bible says. If you don't believe, you don't have life. If you believe, you have life. You're in the midst of eternal life this very moment, believer, and that never ends. The resurrection has changed you completely already. So quit brushing it off. Quit putting it out there. Understand that you belong just like where Martha was. Yeah, Lord, I believe in a resurrection. And Jesus said, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. I'm right in front of you. And it changes absolutely everything. So now we want to look at the entire verse, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Those are awesome, great words. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies physically. And he who believes in me will live and never die, because spiritually he will never die. That's what the resurrection does for us. It changes absolutely everything. These are amazing words, and you just need to take them in and understand them. I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Even if you die physically, you're still going to live because your physical body is not all that there is. There is more. There is the real you that lives inside your physical body. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Man, those are good words. Because I'm the resurrection and the life. And that truth is just as powerful and just as relevant today, Resurrection Sunday, Sunday 2019, as it was on the day that those words were uttered by Jesus, and on the day that he demonstrated that truth when he was raised from the dead and that tomb was empty. The Gospels that we read the Gospels that we read, the passages that we read from the Gospels this morning, they declare that Jesus Christ is indeed the resurrection and the life. He is not here, the angel said. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see where they've laid him. He's gone. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Notice verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You have that inside of you, believer. That is a great, great thing. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We referred to some of these verses this morning in our sunrise service. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand. By which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Verse 20 of this same chapter. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since a man... Since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. 
when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Look at verses 54 through 57. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal would have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? See, those are words that matter, folks. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death no longer has a victory. The, the, the last greatest thing that everybody could ever hold against anybody else was death. I'm going to take your life. I'm going to kill you. I, I, you're not going to live anymore. That's the great threat I have over you. Well, folks, I believe that God is who he says he is, and God has done what he has said he has done, and so bring it on. Excellent. You want to usher me into heaven? <laughs> you're my friend. I'm looking forward to heaven because death doesn't have victory anymore. Death doesn't have a sting anymore. Death doesn't have power anymore. And we need to understand that God wants us to live on this earth and do something. But when our time is up on this earth, he says, the way that you're going to get from this place to that place is through this thing called physical death. It is not the greatest enemy any longer. For the believers, in fact, it is the trans, it is the, well, I was going to say, it is the way that we're taken from here to there. It's a pretty cool thing. Death doesn't have a sting. Death has no victory. Death has no power. The sting of death, it says in verse 56, is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And you can't possibly talk about things like this without referring to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because it is incredibly important that we cling to these truths. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. I just love that verse, because... It says it's okay to grieve, just don't grieve without hope. <laughs> you are going to be devastated when a loved one dies. You're, that's how we're created. We love deeply. And, and when the Lord takes one away from us, we, our, our grieving is sometimes overwhelming. And yet, as believers, our grieving cannot be without hope if the one who has left us was a believer as well. It must be covered in hope. It must be done in hope. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, because we have great hope because of the resurrection. Turn with me back to John chapter 11. So, this morning, the truth of the resurrection is just as true as it was then. We read all of those different passages from the Gospels. 
He is not here. He is risen. We've looked at these different verses that talk about the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his power in our lives and the hope that it gives us. And now what we need to do is every one of us needs to come to, to grips and we need to deal with the question, are those just words? Are those just words that we're hearing on what we call Easter Sunday? Or are those words that I cherish and believe and cling to? That he did indeed die, that he died to pay for my sins, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he is alive today and offering life to all who believe in him. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then Jesus looked at Martha and said, do you believe this? This morning, that same question has been given to us. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I use this passage at funeral services regularly. And I say to those people what I'm about to say to you, and that is this. It was the most important question that Martha had ever been asked in her whole life. And it's the most important question that you'll be asked in your whole life. Do you believe this? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the resurrected Jesus? What are you going to do with the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life? What are you going to do with the one who said that I, that, that, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me? What are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe this? Folks, that question matters more than any other question you'll ever be asked. Do you believe this? Well, we're not going to leave the story here. We're going to need to finish this thing. She said, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. She answered correctly. That's the answer. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the hope. Absolutely, I believe that you are the life and the resurrection. I believe in you. That's the answer. And again, what's your answer? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of answers to this question. Well, Lord, I, I, I think I might believe. I'm thinking about believing. No, I certainly don't believe. Eh, I've never have believed. Or, yeah, I believe. Where are you at? You need to ponder that, and you need to come to grips with that in your life today. What is your answer? She said, I believe. Verse 28 through 32. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her Martha, saying, secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but it was still in the place where Mar Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in her house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, and we see his his great and powerful and amazing love that he had, that he still has for us today. 
The Jews were saying, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? Okay, here's the opposite side of faith and confidence in God. The opposite side of faith and confidence of God, the opposite side of giving God the glory, the opposite side of understanding all of your issues in light of eternity is right here. Lord, why didn't you do it my way in my time? That's the opposite. And every single one of us in this room, I think, have gone down that road. And every single one of us understands that when you go down that road, there is no good answer and there's no good way to get off that road until you come to grips with the fact that, God, you know best, and I trust you, and I want to come back and rest in you. Have you ever accomplished anything by throwing a temper tantrum and stomping your foot and saying, God, why didn't you do it my way in my time? And the answer is we never have. The truth of the matter is we've caused a lot of harm, we've caused a lot of harm many times. Maybe we've thrown things and broken them. Maybe we've hit walls and had to go to the doctor. Maybe, 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 maybe. You can all fill in the blank, can't you? Because we get so overwhelmed that, God, you didn't do it my way in my time, and I'm going to express my displeasure to you. We've all been there because it's easy for us to all live in the moment and short-sighted enough that all we see is this right here instead of this, eternity. That Jesus Christ said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Verse 38 through 40. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? There's that phrase again. I told you you would see the glory of God. I'm about to display to you the glory of God. Trust me. Isn't, isn't this just like humanity? Lord, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But I know that no matter what you do, you are a powerful God and you can do anything. Okay, fine, I want you to move the stone. That's not a good idea, God. We tend to fight against him sometimes, don't we? You guys all should move this tomb now. Lord, you know, that's going to be a bad deal. You're going to see the glory of God. I, I need you to do what I need you to do. We need to trust God. So they removed the stone, it says in verse 41. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around here, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> I believe with all of my heart that if Jesus would have simply at that point uttered, come forth, there would have been a mass resurrection. Because he's the resurrection and the life. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. He did. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Can you imagine this scene? Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Because I am the resurrection and the life. You're going to see the glory of God, and I'm the resurrection and the life. Lazarus come forth, and he did. And they saw it. Because he said, I'm the 
way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And because he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Because he said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, the glory of God was seen. What's fascinating is it, what it says in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Wouldn't you think that every single person in the area, not only Bethany, but around in Jerusalem, would have believed in him? But that's not how it works, is it? But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things what Jesus had done. You know, that guy is still disrupting life. You guys need to do something about it. And they did soon, didn't they? The resurrection. A better and brighter day. A life looking forward to something that is glorious and beyond our comprehension. I would challenge you today to live looking up and looking forward. I would challenge you today to understand that you see this, and when you see this, you're incredibly, incredibly self-centered and self-focused and easily respond to God in an unfortunate way. When you see this, you tend to be like Jesus when we studied last week, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. I understand that there's a big picture here, and you are accomplishing great things. This is a temporary life that we have, folks. This physical life right now, we are in the midst of eternal life, and God has said, live here, live physically, be here, do this right now, and soon, very soon, I will take you home. It may be through death, physical death, or it may be through the rapture. I'm going to take you home, and you're going to be with me forever. And we rejoice in that, and we do it because of a simple, simple awesome concept. He is risen. You almost did that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, we thank you that you are indeed the God of the living and that Jesus is alive. Change our focus. Change our understanding Father, we want to live life in light of eternity. We want to live life understanding that you see the big picture and that we can comprehend the big picture because you've explained it. That life is eternal. Father, I pray that we would do our best to filter all things through that truth. That there is an eternity and it is ours because of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that so many have said, yes, Lord, I believe, but we know that many have not. And if there are some here today who have not, I pray that you would convict them, that you would save them, that, that everybody in this room would, would walk out and celebrate this resurrection day today, having said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life, and that you give us life, and even if we die, we live, and if we live, we never die, because you're the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through you. We praise you, we thank you, we worship you, and we give you the praise, and we glorify your name. Thank you, Father, for saving us. Thank you for the resurrection and life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name.